So we ended up last class on a question. Always? Okay, fine. Okay, does anyone remember what the question was? Um, and does everyone have, there's yeah. new people, so do you have, do you need, what happened to the copies? I have them. You have them? Okay. If you don't have the copies, please stand on the table and clap your hands. No, I'm kidding. You don't have to do that. No, you cannot. What? If you want to share, it's fine. Okay. All right. The question was like this. How many garments are there? Three. Yeah. They are, what are they? You know. We did discuss something like that about how there wasn't a fourth one. We explained why there are three garments. No, I remember that. Is this it? Yes. Yes. Okay. There are three garments. Okay. Let's do the back to basics. Okay. Why are they called garments? Simple reason. What can you do with garments as a take them on and off at will, right? These things you can change at will, as opposed to other parts of you, you cannot change at will. Okay. And like garments, that you would like them to be appropriate, be appropriate, fit you. And like garments, you could hide behind them. Right. Okay, so garments are thought, speech, and action, right? Okay. In thought, what are you doing? A yes. But you realize, you, realize, you realize that's just a trick of knowing how to use grammar. I could have, I, I, I could have taken any gerund and then you just switched it and say, yeah, I'm doing it. It's revealing to ourselves things that we weren't aware of but already knew. Right. Revealing to ourselves things about ourselves that we were not aware of. Now, not aware means I definitely forgot. I just wasn't aware of them at the time. Right? Like, what's the capital of Paris? The capital of France? France. The capital of France. Capital Right, there's no, I, maybe there is, I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe there's some weird governmental thing happening in Paris that I don't know, but the capital of France is Paris. Okay. And the capital of Israel? Okay. Very good. Okay. But until I brought that up, you weren't thinking about it, right? You knew it, but it wasn't, you weren't aware of it at the moment. Okay. In speech, what are we doing? We're expressing mouth movements with sounds using linguistics. To do what? Communicate. Communicate. Okay. okay. Why is linguistics important? What can you do with linguistics that you can't just do with? Ay! <laughs> what can you do using language that you can't do with just making emotionally powerful noises? Make people understand things they didn't already know. Okay. If I scream, it triggers a fear response, right? But you already had the fear response in you, right? Complex ideas you didn't have before. Okay. Um, good. And in action, what are we doing? Controlling our environment. Controlling our environment, right? We are making our environment fit our desires, our will. Okay, good. Now, when the godly soul, so whenever you're doing anything, saying anything, or thinking anything, the godly soul is clothed in that. However, not always is it considered the godly soul's garments because it doesn't always fit the godly soul, right? Which kinds of thought, speech, and action are clothes that are appropriate for the godly soul? The godly soul feels, ah, 
this is really, these clothes fit, they match. They're right for me. Which kinds of thoughts reach in action? Mitzvahs. Mitzvahs. Okay, now we had our question because when the Alter Rebbe starts getting more specific, and we will read this inside, first paragraph, fifth line, third word, four. Without a U. For when a person actively fulfills all of the precepts which require physical action, and with his power of speech, he occupies himself in expounding all the commandments and their halachas. The translator puts practical application, but it's halachas. And with his power of thought, he comprehends all that is comprehensible to him in the pardes of the Torah. We'll get to pardes later. Then blah, 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 blah. What's the problem? In the text, it sounds like you only fulfill mitzvahs using which garment? Action. Are there mitzvahs that require speech specifically? Yes. yes. Can you fulfill the mitzvah to um, bench to say grace after meals? Ooh. Very nice of you. <laughs> now I feel like I should probably drink it. Only <laughs> um, Are you allowed to fulfill the mitzvah of benching through writing out the benching? No. How about sign language? Drawing a picture of how much how great you feel about God. No. no. You actually have to say words. You have to say them in Hebrew? No. The mitzvah reciting the Shema, which you are not obligated to do, by the way. Just letting you know. So in case you were getting up nice and early to make sure to say the Shema on time, you don't have to worry about that. Um, do you, what? Time-bound mitzvahs. Oh, you're saying as women. As women. Yeah, I have to get up, yeah. yeah, yeah. Imagine what it's like when you like finish up a bang at five in the morning. And you're like, oh. It's like either stay up an hour and say Shema or get up in four hours and say Shema. But there's no way of just going to sleep now and just sleeping however long I want. Okay. Um, can you say the Shema by writing it out? By thinking it? Doing a creative, expressive dance about the Shema? No, you can't do the mitzvah of the Shema that way. You could do it with the dance. Actually, no, halakhically. <laughs> because the, the first line, you have to be standing still or sitting still um, so that you could properly concentrate on its meaning. After that, you can dance. But that first line, when you say Shema, you close your hand, Shema Yisrael, Shema Ken, Shema that, you can't be dancing. After that, if you want to dance, like... Okay. All right. Now, do you have to say the Shema in Hebrew? No. Yes. No. No? No. Are the mitzvahs that that you have that are speaking mitzvahs that you have to do in Hebrew? Anyone know? Are there mitzvahs that? Yeah, there are. The kohanim when they give the priestly blessing that has to be done in Hebrew. Um, for those of you, I'm not going to explain this, but those of you who know what it is, you'll know what it is. And those of you who don't, you can ask people to know what it is later. But um, in the mitzvah of chalitza, the woman has to make her declaration in Hebrew. So if she doesn't know Hebrew, they have to like train her to say the Hebrew words. Word for word, yeah. Yeah, the judges say, say, Yuvalma, and then she says, Yuvalma. You have to do word for word in Hebrew. You can't translate. Okay, so there are mitzvahs that are, that are mitzvahs that have been done with speech. Some have to be done in Hebrew. Get an aliyah, do you have to say it in Hebrew? Say what? Um, when you get an aliyah, say like... Say what? Yes, all blessings that are done communally have to be done in Hebrew. So like, if you are making a blessing on the water, I'm about to make a blessing on this water. Um, if you don't know Hebrew, you can make it in English. But things that are done communally have to be done in Hebrew. No, and in fact, it's probably, it's possibly, it's a debate whether that's even acceptable. Um, 
because the thing that if you're switching languages, then it doesn't have any meaning in the language that you're speaking. Mm. Right? Whereas if you say God, it actually, God means God, so then you're better off saying God. If you say Hashem, that doesn't count at all. Yeah. Okay. So, and then there are mitzvahs that you can only do in thought. What are some mitzvahs you can only do in thought? What? If you daven, if you say sentences, where you're switching back and forth in the middle, there's a debate whether it counts. If you say certain paragraphs in Hebrew and certain paragraphs in English, that's perfectly fine. Right? There but, goes like my entire Russian. Why? <laughs> what? Why? Because I can't keep up in Hebrew. No, so you can say in English. It's fine. Yeah, but like I'm switching back and forth. That's fine. You just can't say which mid-sentence. Because in mid-sentence, it doesn't make any sense. Like, if I start talking to you, the achshav, and I switch back into English, it doesn't make any sense. Right? I just threw in a Hebrew word. No one, like, it doesn't mean anything. Right? People don't speak that way. If, if you say, I said this paragraph in English and this paragraph in Hebrew, because this paragraph I can say quickly in Hebrew, this one I can't. That's fine. Okay, fine. And you can even do sentence-sentence if you want. You just can't switch in the middle of a sentence. That becomes very questionable. Yeah. What about names in it? Like, if you're doing it in English... But then you say Abraham, Yitzchak, 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 Yitzchak. You can say Abraham, it's fine. You can say Abraham because it's a name, but either or is fine. Okay. Um, are there mitzvahs you can only do in thought? Yeah, yeah what's a mitzvah? What? Loving Hashem, right? What? Fearing Hashem, unifying Hashem, knowing Hashem. There's negative mitzvahs like not being afraid in war. When a soldier goes into war, it's forbidden for them to be afraid. Yeah. yeah. What? It's a mitzvah. It's a... Oh, so the the thing is with all these mitzvahs is that the mitzvahs the mitzvahs are the think the thought the thinking not the feeling, which means like this. Let's go clear. Right. The mitzvah of the the the, the mitzvah of not being afraid in war is that you're not allowed to think about things that give you fear during war. Right. And by the way, if you do that, then you won't be afraid. I once many many years ago. Because that. So, so here's the thing. There's a very big. Uh, I, I I gave this example once many many years ago in my Wounds program. And then all of a sudden, it's like, that's not true. That's not realistic. And there was a woman here who had previously been a combat soldier in the Israeli army. She's like, no, no, that's actually how it works. But when you do, when you, God forbid, really, I don't wish I have to actually do this, but if you do house-to-house searching, or like urban combat, so they usually send into a, into a room like teams of about three people, three soldiers. So you go into the room. So the first one goes in the room. They're like in charge of like... You can do it from here. Like, I'm in charge of this part of the room. The person right behind me is in charge of that part of the room. The person behind me is in charge of that part of the room. Okay? So that means I go in the room. If I see out of the corner of my eye someone pointing a gun at me from over there, what am I supposed to do? I'm in charge of this part of the room. I see out of the corner of my eye someone sneaking. Turn around. I am not supposed to do anything. Why? Because that's the third guy's job. My job's here. Well, what if the other guy doesn't know? Doesn't matter. That's why, because that, you ever hear this thing about how soldiers, they become very, very close from trusting each other? Yeah. He's taking care of that guy. I'm over here. Because you know what happens? I look over there. Now, there's two people looking here. No one's looking over there. And then the guy jumps out of there, and then we're all dead. And they train them over and 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 over again that when you are in battle, when you are on a mission, the only thing you're thinking about is 
your responsibilities, that's it. There isn't a future, there isn't a past, there isn't the other side of the room. There's what am I supposed to be doing now, and that's it. And when you get really good at that, then they send you to urban combat. If you're really bad at that, then you like, you know, fold parachutes. <laughs> okay. And so I give this example that people are saying, like, that's crazy. And she's like, no, no, that's actually how I train. Like, and people, God forbid, can die because somebody's like, oh, there's a guy with a gun, and he turns around, and then like the guy from there pops out and nobody's covering that spot. Um, and so there's a mitzvah not to think about things, not to, you know, soldier goes nowhere, not to think about home, and how to think about the family, and how to think about what could happen. Just, I have a mission, what's the mission? Hashem's gonna protect us, and we're going on the mission, and that's that. And that's a mitzvah you can only do in thought. Okay? So there are mitzvahs that only can happen in thought, mitzvahs only can happen in speech. So it's weird that the Alter Rebbe, in terms of fulfilling the mitzvahs, he only mentions action. Whereas in speech, he talk, says explaining the mitzvahs and speaking about their halachas, and then he mentions something about a pardes, whatever that is in thought. Okay, so here is the answer. What is the only way that your godly soul can be wearing appropriate garments that are made of actions. The only way is by doing a mitzvah. So for instance, let's say, um, I'm gonna use an analogy. Let's say I have an arm, in this case my right arm, yeah? Now my right arm, there's clothing that fits my right arm, which is a sleeve, right? Now, is it possible for me to take like um, pants and like stick my arm through the pant leg? Yeah. yeah, but that's not really appropriate, right? Okay. So, my right arm, sleeve. That's how it goes. Okay, now, if there is a particular part of my soul that wants to dress itself appropriately using garments of action, so it needs the right part of the soul, needs the right kind of mitzvah. We're going to talk about this later. So let's say there's a part of your soul, um, the 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 animal sacrifice part of your soul. There's a part of your soul that its garments are the animal sacrifices. Just like the right arm is the sleeve, right? The head is the yarmulke, right? Shoes go for feet. So there's a part of your soul that its garments are animal sacrifices. How's the only way it can wear its garments is if it actually does the animal sacrifices. Now, can you do animal sacrifices? No. So that what does it mean that what's going on with that part of your soul? The soul is there. Does it, ha does it have its appropriate garment? No. no. Right. And is there anything you can do about that? No, because no, you can't bring animal sacrifices nowadays because there's no temple. Right. Now, let's go back to my arm. My arm actually has how many garments? So there's the sleeve of my jacket, right? And under the sleeve of my jacket is the sleeve of my shirt, right? And under the sleeve of my shirt, right, I have tzitzis, okay? because Jewish men are supposed to wear tzitzis, okay? And are you, is you supposed to wear tzitzis directly on bare skin? No. No, why not? What do you think? It's not respectful, right? Because the garments that we generally wear directly over our skin um, often get a lot of sweat in them and stuff, so therefore it is not required, but it is appropriate not to wear the tzitzis directly on bare skin, which is why most religious Jews do not wear their tzitzis directly on bare skin. They usually have an undershirt. So that means you have several layers of clothing, right? Okay. Well, the tzitzis, no, because tzitzis don't have sleeves. But the undershirt under them has sleeves. So how many layers are there? There's three. There's three. Jacket, shirt, 
undershirt. But your undershirt is, has long sleeves? It has sleeves, yeah. To make sure that the tzitzis aren't touching the bare skin. Everyone? Depends how pious you are. Not long sleeves, but long enough. So like, right. So, so the point is, right, you have different layers of clothing, right? We're familiar with this. Now, sometimes when you're missing a layer of clothing, it's a big deal. And sometimes it's not a big deal, right? Also, context depends. For instance, um, if I'm not in a more formal setting, I don't mind taking off my jacket. When I'm in a more formal setting, I do mind taking off my jacket, right? Okay. Um, so there are times you have one layer, two layers, two layers, okay? So now, the part of your soul, which is... Its garments are the animal sacrifices. It can't really wear its outer garments because the outer garment is action and there's no way to actually do the animal sacrifices. So does that mean it just has to go around wearing the wrong garments? Or no garments? Or does it have, still have a possibility of having some garments? Is there a possibility that that part of your soul can still wear appropriate garments? And the answer is yes, because how many layers do you have? Three, thought, speech, and action. And when it comes to, say, the part of your soul that its garments are animal sacrifices, even if I can't do the animal sacrifices, can it explain the animal sacrifices? That's right. Can you, you can speak about the halachas. You can say how they're done. Or you can explain their meaning, right? So when you talk about the mitzvah, even though you're not actually doing the mitzvah, that is a garment. And it's a garment for which part of your soul? The part of your soul that matches that mitzvah, right? So there's a part of my soul that really, its garments are animal sacrifices. I can't go over to the temple and bring sacrifices, but I can talk about the sacrifices, which is why in our daily prayers, in the davening, we actually say sacrifices. And therefore, at least on some level, that part of my soul is clothed. Okay? Which means speech is better than action. Why is speech better than action? Because in action, I can only wear the garments that circumstances allow me to wear. Right, like right now, can I do the mitzvah of lulav? No. Why not? You don't have one. Even if I have one. It's not the time. It's not the time. Right? I can't speech do the animals. What? Speech, you can't do brach on the lulav now. What's that? What's that? That's right, I can't do the mitzvah of making the bracha. But I can say that the mitzvah of lulav is to take four species. See? Now, what did I just do? I just spoke about the halachas of the mitzvah, right? Right, is that a mitzvah? The, so the part of my soul which is in tune and wants to be clothed in, and needs to be clothed in, lulav and esrog, it can't be clothed in the mitzvah of lulav and esrog except when? On sukkahs, assuming I have a lulav and esrog. But it can be clothed in the discussion about the meaning and halachas of lulav and esrog anytime I want. Which means that in speech, we have the ability to clothe parts of our soul that we don't always have the ability to clothe in action. Okay? So let's say the part, the part of your soul that really needs to, we'll talk later about what this means it really needs to, but let's say there's a part of your soul and it really needs to be clothed in, this was a really weird mitzvah. Um, what? Kaparis? Kaparis. Okay, yeah, I don't know if that's it's more of a custom, it gives a category of mitzvah, generally speaking. So let's say, yeah, let's say there's a part of your soul that really needs to be clothed in, in, the, in, the, in, in the kaparis, but it's not Yom Kippur, and it's not, um, there's no chi- or there's no chickens around, right? Or you have a deep emotional aversion to holding a chicken, or to killing a chicken, or whatever the case might be, right? So... In terms of that doesn't ha- in terms of the level of action like that doesn't help, but you can still 
you can still satisfy the need of that part of the soul by talking about it, talking about how it's done, talking about the meaning behind it. So when you talk about a mitzvah, that is a garment even if you're not doing the mitzvah. And that's a power that you have in speech that you don't have in action. Okay? Now, so therefore, which mitzvahs should you learn about? The ones that you can't do. <laughs> the, ones that you, the ones that you can't do. And the ones you can do. Like Which means... Like, yeah. Or, right. So, so this means the idea that we're only going to like talk about things that are practical, that we can do in action. Does that make any sense anymore? Right. In other words, is discussing mitzvah simply a, pre, a, a, a way to get to doing the mitzvah? Is learning the halacha, is talking about like how you're allowed to not allowed to make tea on Shabbos, is that only valuable because now you know on Shabbos how to make tea? No. 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 The actual talking about the mitzvah is itself a garment of the soul, even when you're not doing the mitzvah. Yes. Okay. That's a very important thing to know. Because what happens, for instance, let's say theoretically you happen to know all the information already. Is there any point to still talking about it? Yes. Yeah. Why? I just don't really get it. How is talking about it? Like, how is that completing any part of the mitzvah? It's not completing any part of the mitzvah. It's a, we have to, in other words, like this. How is that Well, well, one second, one second, one second, one second. There's two things here. There's two. Yeah, but you, you said like the action part No, I said every part, every every part of every mitzvah connects to a different part of the soul, which I'm going to talk about soon. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow. Now that part of the soul has how many layers of garments that it can be wearing. We don't know why. We haven't discussed, by the way, why the soul cares so much about wearing garments, right? That's, yeah, that's I, we have not discussed that at all. We're like, that's we're keeping you in suspense to later. But for some reason, the soul wants to be wearing garments and wants to be wearing garments that fit it, that are appropriate to it, right? But then there's a part of the soul that tefillin is really important to. There's a part of the soul that Lulav Nesra, there's a part of the soul that animal sacrifice, there's a part of, hey, different parts of the soul, different things. What about, how do, again, I don't know why it's important for my soul to be wearing garments. But if my soul really was part of my soul, let's say, animal sacrifices, or Luvanesha, right, or Kapars, whatever it is, it, wants, it needs to be wearing its garments. But the mitzvah is not something I can do for any number of reasons. I can't do it. It's not the time of the mitzvah. The opportunity isn't there. Are we going to talk about the need? Is that what yeah, yeah, that'll come later. Okay. Not today. I don't really know what that right? But there is a need that the soul has to wear garments. We don't know why. And it wants to wear... It's garments. How do you know your soul has this need? Like you're just like, I want to hold a lulav. Like we're gonna, we're gonna see later. Okay. So let's say that we're gonna get there. Okay. You see where it says now these garments, that paragraph. Yes. Yeah. On the right side. On the right side. Oh yeah. Before we start the word now, we will have the answer to that question. Okay. All right. Hopefully in that week. Ish. <laughs> okay. So again. Let's say there's a part of your soul, it, the, the lulav part of your soul, and it really needs to clothe itself. So it needs a lulav, but it's not sukkahs. Or you're in Siberia, or who knows what, right? Or the animal sacrifices part, or the kaparas part. Pick your example, right? It can't get that outer garment. It can't get the overcoat. It can't get the physical action level of the garment. Does that mean it has to be unsatisfied? No, okay. I get it can be satisfied through talking about the mitzvah. Now, is that the same? No. No. Okay. But it's the same that, like, you would, okay. Well, 
how do you, I know this isn't practice, like we're not doing a practical class here, but like what do you mean by, like, how, do you, how, do you how do you do that? Okay, so in the sitter, yeah. in the sitter, just, like, talk about it? Like, yeah, I will. I'll, it's so much cooler to, to, to daven in English if you don't know Hebrew. If you know Hebrew, it's fine, but, all right. So, the morning prayers. You ever like, you like the morning prayers? Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. We're going to do, we're going to, we're going to do page 23. Okay. Okay. I, I'm just reading, I'm just reading with intonation, okay? The burnt offering, a sacrifice of the most holy order, was slaughtered on the north side of the altar. Where was it slaughtered? Its blood was received there in a service vessel. Where was the blood received? Where? On the right side. The north side. And its blood, two sprinklings were to be made at opposite corners of the altar so as to constitute four. How was the blood sprinkled? On the other two sides. Opposite on the opposite corners, right? Because if you have a square and you sprinkle some blood here, it goes on these two sides. You sprinkle some blood there, it goes on those two sides, and that's like on four sides of the altar. Right? We say this every day, by the way. Um, so as to concept, the offering was to be flayed. What does that happen to the offering? Flayed. Do they know what flayed means? Flayed. No. Yeah, taking off the skin. Okay. Dismembered. Taken apart. Okay. And totally consumed by fire. So which part did the Kohanim eat from the sacrifice? No. Okay, see? Right. So now, did we bring a sacrifice? No. No. Did the part of our soul that needs to be clothed in sacrifices get its need met? No. Yes. Right. Right. It got met on some level, but on another level, right? It's an interesting question why you need garments on all three levels. But if that part is getting something met, right? And so the power of speech over action is that speech is limitless. You can clothe any part of yourself, in any part of your soul in its appropriate garments when you speak about a mitzvah, even though you can't do the mitzvah. So the altar is not, the altar is not saying, oh, you, can only, you only do mitzvahs in, in, in speech. Uh, you only do mitzvahs in action. What he's saying is like, he's pointing out the added benefit that speech affords the soul above and beyond what is in action. Of course you could do mitzvahs you do in speech. But what's special about speech is not only can you do mitzvahs, even when you can't do mitzvahs, you can clothe your soul by speaking about the mitzvah. And that's whether you're speaking about the laws of how the mitzvah is done like we just did, or you speak about explaining the meaning of the mitzvah. Either of those things serve to satisfy the soul's need to be clothed on some level. Okay? Which is why our sages stuck because right, since prayer is supposed to be corresponding to sacrifice, yeah. how do you get that part of our soul feeling like it's properly clothed? You talk about the sacrifices. Okay? What should you do? Just think about it. What should you do if, God forbid, you're stuck somewhere and you can't light Hanukkah candles because there's no Hanukkah candles? It's not possible. No. No. You should speak about the halachas of lighting candles and the meaning of lighting candles. But if you just tell the story, you don't connect it back to the candles. It doesn't go. But it does not count as the mitzvah. We are not talking about whether halacha that counts as the mitzvah. We're saying is, does that meet the need the soul has on some level? Yeah. So you couldn't just say, like, talk about the menorah, but you'd have to say, you put the candles in from this way to this way, and you light this way to this way, and you. Right. Right. You give you give like a little halacha class on how to light candles. Only halacha solves that. Or. 
the meaning in the mitzvahs. He said, gives two possibilities. In the Hebrew it says, in the Hebrew it says, Pirush kol tarek mitzvahs, the, the, the meaning, the explaining of the, of the 613 mitzvahs, vilchisein, and their laws. It is the fourth line in the Hebrew near the end. So you can't just be like, oh, wow, and they found this thing oil and they put it in a new for eight days, so like, that's why we do that. Oh, well, saying, that's why we do that. Would that be That would be, because now you're explaining the meaning of the mitzvah. Okay. Right. She's saying, we like Hanukkah candles. Why do we like Hanukkah? You give the whole story. But it has to be in the context of explaining the mitzvah or how the mitzvah is actually done. Because it's, it, it's, again, it's in, in some sense, it's in lieu of the mitzvah. You're, you're, you're connecting to the mitzvah, but on the level of speech, not on the level of action, right? So I can clothe the part of my soul that needs to receive, that, that, that feels connected to the recital of the Shema, when it's not time for the Shema, by talking about the recital of the Shema, what it means, how it's done, even though now is not the time for the recital of the Shema. We can't like, talk about being nice to somebody and not actually be nice to them. We're not talking about this again, this, two things. Number one, we're talking about the soul's need. We're not talking about, right? There's lots of other elements to mitzvahs, okay? Do we, are we aware of our soul's needs? When we, when we, by the time we get to the now these three garments paragraph, we will have answered that question. Then you haven't really lived. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I've done Well, we will get to that. And, and, we will get to that. And that next paragraph about the, the soul's need for mitzvahs and how the soul's need for its garments and how the garments fulfill that need we're going to talk about. For right now, we're just taking for granted the soul has a need for the garments and the garments are more specific. So that it's not just do a mitzvah generically. There might be, I feel the need for a specific type of garment and that mitzvah isn't available because of time, space, circumstances, whatever it is. But I still have the availability to clothe it on the level of speech. And so speech has an added power from the soul's perspective, okay? Are there, is, there, is there something greater in action? Sure, there's something greater in action, right? If I talk about being nice to people, that doesn't mean that they're actually like, you know, get stuff. Mm-hmm. And then does the example with like the lulav, for example, uh-huh. um, like how would you satisfy it? By talking about how you properly like yeah. shake the lulav yeah. or why? Yeah. You have to, it only would get satisfied by speech if you speak about like the, Actual, actual mitzvah, yeah, like, halacha or the meaning. So you could say something like, the lulav, we take one lulav, one esrog, two oravis, and three hadasim. Does it matter if you say it to someone or if you're just like saying it to yourself? Saying it to yourself. In fact, it's a long-standing Jewish custom of people talking, saying just Torah to themselves on their own. Because then, even when you're walking down the street, your soul is clothed in garments. Is that why the Rebbe was always talking to himself? Did you know that? That's why everyone, I mean, that's why people do that. I do that also. Like, some people just do it because they all want the same one as Torah. But the inner meaning, right, yeah. So the Rebbe would walk down the street. Like, if you look carefully, you would see that the Rebbe was slowly speaking. Or they were like saying Mishnais by heart or saying Tanya by heart. Is there saying like, like, it's much easier to do that if someone like gives you a script and I'm going to like start off the. Right? That's why we have things like Mishnah and Gemara and things like that. Talking to yourself about the same thing as, um, what's it called? No. Spodidus means being alone with God, which is a mental state rather than behavior. Okay. So, so again, it's not that the altar is saying you don't perform mitzvahs in speech. He's saying in addition to the obvious performing mitzvahs in speech, speech affords you another opportunity to clothe your soul, which is talking about the mitzvahs that you can't be doing right now. Good? Okay. Now, thought. 
Okay. So thought, again, you can do mitzvahs in thought, but thought is something that even speech doesn't have. Okay. And what we're going to do is we're going to do a little... Um, we're going to all say something together. Okay. So... Um, it would have been more convenient had I printed something out so we could all read it instead of me spending the time to write it out. But... There we go. Do we have enough sitters? But, no, because I, no, 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 I want to do something where it's clearly a mitzvah. Okay. That's okay. I'll write something on the board, okay? We're all say it together, okay? Um... Why don't we just read the quote that's on the board? No, that's not good. <laughs> it's connected to mitzvahs. What if no rain, no flowers? Okay, ready? We're all going to say this together on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. The time for the Shema is nightfall until midnight. We are a cult. What? There's only one Ellen, so that's okay. It's a good thing it's not a safer Torah. Okay, now, on the level of, first off, as we go, did we all say the words? Yes. Did we all understand, right? We're not, we're not reading in a language we don't, Okay, because that's not really, that's not as a general rule speech. Okay, I say as a general because there's interesting exceptions to that. But as a general, it's just repeating sounds that you don't actually understand generally doesn't count as speech. Okay, the exception would be certain things in Hebrew that your soul understands, so it counts. But like, okay, so on the level of speech, we're all in the same place, right? Yeah, okay. Um, I'm going to throw you some questions and we'll see what happens. Okay, so just throw that. Let's start like this. When is nightfall? When nightfall? When is that? When sun sets. What? After sunset. What? You can use whatever you know. You say sun the sun sets. You say when there's dark and there's stars in the sky. I like that answer. You like that answer? Okay, but are we all clear that we're not on the same page about this? Okay. What happens? If you didn't say the Shema and midnight already passed, you lost your chance. You lost your chance, and you say you can still say it. According to this, no, you can't say midnight. When you said according to this, you mean like 12, or do you mean like halfway between? I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. How do you determine midnight? In the middle of the night. How do you determine it? From the darkness to the light? The middle of that. The middle of that, okay. Um, why is that the time of the Shema? No, that's wrong actually. Okay, but why is that the time? Wait, why is that? Well, as opposed to saying the time of the Shema is like a half hour after nightfall or like, you know, from mid-afternoon, like, I don't know. Okay, so are we clear that even though on the level of speech we're all in the same place, we're not on the level of same place in the level of comprehension. Like when we're using the, those words to reveal to ourselves our knowledge of the mitzvah of Shema, it turns out that 
as those words become part of our thoughts, they are not the same. Right? Okay? And this is very interesting. Because if I put on tefillin, I'm no fundamentally different than someone else putting on tefillin, right? Tefillin is tefillin. You put it on, that's that. Right? You light a Shabbos candle, you either did the mitzvah or you didn't. Right? If you're saying words, whether those words are a mitzvah... You're different if you put on... Like, if you put on tefillin, it's fundamentally different than we did. Well, yeah, because it's not a mitzvah for you. But it's not fundamentally different than... Then, then we're the same, yeah. What? Yeah. So, so I want to be... What? Okay, if I put on tefillin, my brother puts on tefillin. Yeah? There's no difference. Okay, that's it. Just did you do it right? Did you do it wrong? It's like a binary question, right? Shabbos candles. Like when my wife was in the hospital after childbirth, so I lit the Shabbos candles. Okay, so then I did the mitzvah. It's fine, whatever. You mitzvah, you do it. You either did it or you didn't. It's very simple, right? I mean, you're saying words, like, as long as the words are, as long as, long as what you're saying is intelligible words, like, it's either said or you didn't say it. But then when those words are viewed as thought, right, or in the case of just thinking them, now you have a very difference, because we can think the same thoughts, but what's revealed to us in our thoughts is very different, right? And what we all thought that meant varies from every person to every person, right? So what do we see about thought? Thought is different than speech and action. That thought, the differences between us or individual actually is manifest. So if you want a garment that actually gets at um, your individual sense of Torah and mitzvahs, it's not going to be the physical action. Because in the physical action, either you did the mitzvah properly or you didn't. When you said words about how the mitzvah is done or the meaning of the mitzvah, either what you said is intelligible and correct or it isn't. It's that simple. But then how the, what is contained in the thought that corresponds to that, that varies from person to person. So which garment is actually very attenuated to our, soul, our soul's unique experiences or unique individuality is thought. So thought in a certain sense has something very different than the other garments. Okay? Now... It's, it's, it says here something called the Pardes of the Torah. And I saw that was on the board, the Pardes of the Torah. You've heard this thing, Pardes of the Torah? Has everyone heard about the Pardes of the Torah? Yeah. Anyone not know about the Pardes of the Torah? Okay. The Pardes of the Torah. Okay. There's different levels, okay? I'm going to explain the Pardes of the Torah um, in a way that fits more with what the Alter Rebbe is saying, okay? Every single thing in Torah has four levels to it, okay? So we're learning Tanya. What level of Tanya are we learning? Are we learning? No, but everything has four levels. No, we're learning on one level. We're learning up shot. So I want to understand. What? Right. No, that, but see, this is, this is, this is, this is, I want to, many ideas can be used in different ways. I'm going to explain the way Pardis is being used here by the Alter Rebbe. Everything in Torah has four levels of understanding it. Okay? Okay? And let me go through them. Okay? Okay. The first one is called. 
Pshat. Okay, what does Pshat mean? What? Literal. literal. So, it, it, here's the Simple. thing. It doesn't really mean literal. Plain sense. It means plain. The plain sense. Okay? When I say, I'm starving, what is the plain sense meaning of that? You're hungry. That I'm hungry. It doesn't actually mean that I'm starving, right? Everyone understands it doesn't mean that I'm starving, right? We don't take that literally. We understand. I'm using a metaphor, right? I'm using exaggeration, right? So when you look at a text, when someone is talking, and like, what are they trying to say? Like, just straightforward. Like, what is the plain sense meaning of what they're saying? That's called the shot. Most of the time, what most people are struggling to figure out is the shot. If you're learning a mystical text and you're trying to figure out what it means, you're learning shot. Got it? Okay. So it's a way of approaching the language. Okay? Now, the next level is called Remes. Okay. Remes means a hint. Okay. What does it mean to learn something in a way of Remes? So first off, you're not interested in the plain meaning at all. Like that's not what you're dealing with. Yeah. Are you a little nuances? Maybe that there's like a gematria, or maybe that there's something that's a little bit hinting towards something else. Okay, but so, so you're right, but I, I think it's helpful to see it in practice. And the reason why, the reason why, um, is because you can't really, as a general rule, be doing learning in the way of remes. If you're still learning Pshat, okay, let me explain to you. So, um, is there, can you get me a, a, a Chumash? Any? Any, uh, the, the big ones over there, the red, big red ones. No, 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 up one more shelf. Yeah, that, one of those. Any of those, doesn't matter. Okay. So, we're going to just pick a random verse. Make sure that we have the right commentator for the random verse. Yeah, that one doesn't have one. You find one that does. Okay, here we go. So, there's the story where Avimelech, the king of the Philistines, he takes. Sarah, the wife of Avram, you heard this story? Mm-hmm. Okay. It wasn't a nice thing for him to do. But he wasn't an evil man to the extent that Paro, king of Egypt, was. So Shem comes to him in a dream and tells him um, that she's a married woman. You should give her back to her husband. And uh, her husband, he's a prophet. Right? And that's what he says. He says, and I'll just read and translate. Give back the... Um, the wife of the man, Kinovihu, he is a prophet. They got to ask yourself, like, why do we care that he's a prophet? Like, and if he wasn't a prophet, then someone else okay to kidnap his wife? Does that make sense to you? Is it okay to kidnap someone's wife if they're not a prophet? So why does it matter? Okay. Now, is that a Remez question or a Pshat question? That's a Pshat question. Because you're like, you just give me information. Like, why did you tell me that? Like, why do I need to know that? Right? Okay. 
There's a lot, like, pshat is very hard because you means like, really have exhausted every single thing you've said. Okay? You told me that he's a prophet. Why don't you know he's a prophet? What does that have to do with what you're talking about? It seems like a non sequitur. Okay. And then it goes on to say, And then he will pray for you and you will be healed. Because Avimelech was sick and whatever. Okay. So then you got to think, okay, like, what are you, like, again, like, why do, why do you have to tell him he's going to pray? And like, okay, all these are interesting questions, right? Okay. Notice I was also able to do that in English. Right? So I was able to do that in English. Here's a rule about pshat. Pshat can be done in another language, assuming that you can translate properly, because whatever meaning you're trying to convey in one language, you could just switch it and convey it in another language. Maybe you have to use more words. Maybe a word becomes a paragraph. A paragraph becomes a word. But you can do it, right? You can, right? So I can do the whole thing in English, right? Now return the wife of the man because he's a prophet and he will heal. He will pray on your behalf and you'll be healed. Okay. And you say, like, why do we know he's a prophet? Why, you know, why, why, does, why is praying on your behalf an important part of giving back? Okay, fine. Then there's an interesting question. How many times does the word v'yispalel, the Hebrew word, show up in the entire Tanakh? The entire Hebrew Bible. How many times does that word show up? V'yispalel. How many times does it show up? Four. You know that because you went and counted, or you're making a random guess? Okay. You're close. It's three. And here's the thing. That question, first off, already presupposes that you're learning in which language? Hebrew. It also has anything to do with what's going on in the story? No. No. Right? There's many words in Hebrew for pray, right? So you're like, okay, it uses this word vispal. Like, I don't care. Like, whatever the story is, there's this word. How many times does the Tanakh use this word? Three. Why does he use it only three times? Does that have anything to do with the straightforward meaning of the story? No. No. Okay. Would you like to know why um, it uses it three times? Yes. Okay. So give me one minute and I will find out because I also don't know. But that you have to look in Rashi. Okay. <laughs> I left that open-ended for a reason. That one I know the answer to. This is random. I don't know. Ah, because the word v'yispal is used in three places. It's used by Avimelech. It's used in another verse in Yeshai, the prophet Isaiah, where it says that you will bow to him and he will pray. And then it also says that he will, and then Tillam it says, and he will pray on his behalf constantly. And so the other two instances are to teach us that Hashem was actually telling Avimelech that, um, that Avram's only going to really pray for you if you humble yourself in front of him, like you bow to him. And don't think you need his prayers only this instant. You'll forever be dependent on his prayer. Now, is there any way if I'm looking at this story just as, as I get to any of this information? No, what question did I start with? That he uses this word, how many times is this used in, word used in Tanakh, and why? Is that like a normal way of like looking at information? Okay, right? Okay. So what's happening with Remez is that you're disregarding the plain meaning, and you're saying everything here is code for something else. Okay. Are we learning Tanya like that? No. The Rebbe's father used to learn Tanya like that. The Rebbe's father, he would read Tanya, and he'd say, like, why does the chapter start with the ode? Why, why not just say ode? Why does it say the ode? Why is it chapter four speaks about garments? Why not chapter three? 
like all sorts of weird things like that. Like, just right. It, you can only do remez if you don't care about this plain meaning and you're looking at the text just as a collection of words, a collection of letters, and then just looking for encoded messages. Okay. When we're learning anything, do we ever like really do that? Sometimes when we're learning something, someone bring, mentions something like that, right? But we're not actually, like there are people who sit through, like they open the Chumash and they start reading, right? And they completely don't care what the meaning is. They're just looking there. It says Bez, Reish. Like why does it start with a Bez? And why is there a Reish? And why is there a space here? And why does a Shin have, have three lines to it? And why does a Reish look like, that's all they're doing. Okay, do you learn Torah like that? Do I learn Torah like that? No. Okay, so what, what, which level are we stuck with? Shot. Okay. Okay. Then there's what's called drush. Okay, what does drush mean? Explanation. It means actually to seek. Drush means to seek out. Okay. Give me a question. Any question? I need to grow beard. Okay. Ask me a harder question. One, one that the answer is not so blatantly obvious. Could you know? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Why do some people, um, like, where allow the sheer type and some allow the thicker ones? Good question. Right? Now, this is the Tanakh. This is the word of God, right? Yeah. God's wisdom is infinite? Yeah. He put his infinite wisdom in this book? So the answer to your question is in this book? So you're saying God's infinite yeah. wisdom doesn't yeah, contain it. Is it is? Something. Let's run through this. You asked a question, right? Yeah. Dispute about kinds of tights that women are allowed to wear according to Allah. Good question. Okay. What's the rationale for this opinion? What's the rationale for that opinion? Good. God's infinite wisdom surely contains the answer, right? God's infinite wisdom is in this book? Yeah? Okay. Go find it. Are you even going to attempt to do that? No, I can't. No, why not? I can't read Hebrew. Okay, that's certainly going to be problematic because it's probably not going to be stuck in the plain sense meaning of things, right? right? But notice now here you're doing the reverse. You're starting off with the question. You're saying, well, obviously, because the Torah is God's infinite wisdom, therefore, it contains the answer to this question, right? And therefore, you read the Torah carefully, 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 until you eventually find the part of the Torah that answers your question. Is that like a normal way to study Torah? No. No, no. right? That's called drush. Drush is, you're starting with the premise, this finite text contains infinite wisdom. So whatever question I have, if I circuit out properly and deeply enough, I will eventually. Okay. Yeah. Now, I can, when I, when now someone has done that and then they tell me and I'm reading that, I'm learning shot, right? So like they're telling me like, it says the Torah, this word, and from this word, we know this. Like, now I'm, I'm not learning drush. I'm learning shot. I'm just, someone said something, I'm just saying what they meant, right? So you notice like, we're always learning shot. Because we're never taking a book, we're never taking a Mishnah or a Gemara or a Tanya and saying, let me ignore what this says and just look at the, look, treat this as some sort of like code and try and figure out how often is this expression used and why? Or why is this spelled this way and why? We don't do that, right? And we certainly say, well, I have an in question and this text contains the infinite wisdom of God, so where's the answer? And just keep looking and thinking until you eventually alight upon where the answer is, right? You don't do that, right? Okay. All right. 
are you guessing that the last level sewed is going to be really different than just like saying mysticism? Um, yeah. Okay. Here's the last level. It's called sewed. Okay. And sewed means secret. Now, here's the question. If I tell you, is it still a secret? So anytime we learn sewed, anytime we learn this level, then it's no longer sewed anymore because now people know about it. What makes something this level? What's, what's learning this level as a child? I will tell you a story. So there was a man whose name was the Balshemtov. It actually wasn't his name. His name was Yisrael, but he's known as the Balshemtov. And, and the Balshemtov was known to be quite a controversial figure. Okay? He had all sorts of crazy ideas like Every Jew is intrinsically valuable, and God is present in everything, and God never was out to get you, and weird stuff like that that are controversial. And there was a lot of great Torah scholars who were very antagonistic to the Baal Shem Tov. One of them, his name was Rabbi Dovber. Rabbi Dovber later became known as the Magad of Mizrich. Magad is a preacher. He's known as the Magad of Mizrich because he was the preacher in the town of Mizrich. And he was a very... He was very antagonistic and skeptical of the Baal Shem Tov. Um, but he was eventually convinced to go um, see him. Mainly to like, check out, see if he's legit or not. But he really, he, was, he, had, a, he had his, um, how you put it, his reservations, to put it mildly. So he comes to the Baal Shem Tov, And the Baal Shem Tov opens a work of Kabbalah, the, the Priyetz Chaim, from their Rizal. And the... The Baal Shem Tov asks him, can you explain this passage? And he says, sure. And he reads the passage and explains it. And Baal Shem Tov says, that's not what's written there. And so the Magid, remember, the Magid does not think very highly of the Baal Shem Tov. He's like, okay, you know what? I know how to learn Kabbalah. You think you're so smart. Turns the book around. You explain the passage. See what you do. What's the, you know, what do you have? So the Baal Shem Tov gets very, very serious and says, stand on your feet. Now, why is that significant? Whenever the Talmudic sages were to reveal, were going to reveal a mystical experience, they would tell those around them to stand on their feet. And then the Baal Shem Tov started reading the passage and explaining it. And he said the exact same thing that the Magid said. Didn't add any new information. And the Magid later told the story, he said, but as the Baal Shem Tovs described the different angels and spiritual levels, I experienced everything that was on the page. When he described this level of divine light, I actually was there and saw it. I felt it. Sod is a secret because sod is something that you don't do with you don't do entirely with your intellect. It it's the bridge between the intellect and prophecy. It's experiential. So when someone is learning in a way of sod, right, and they, they're learning about the divine wrath of God. What's happening to them? They're understanding how the divine judgment works. They actually experience the divine wrath. What? No. Okay. So that's why we say learn Basically. That's right. Right, now someone who's experienced very profound things, I'll tell you a story about this in a second, might write them down and we're trying to understand what he said. So then our level of understanding is on what level? Pshat. Pshat. And anytime your goal is, what does he mean? It's pshat. Pshat about so, you can't learn so. Yeah. Right. 
Once somebody has learned in one of these ways, they might have new information, a new text that you can then learn in a way of shot. But then you're not getting what they had, are you? It's not the same thing. It's not the same, but close. Right? If, if, I, if I describe to you what it's like to be a parent, and now you understand what I'm saying, that means you know what it's like to be a parent. That's right. So you're dealing with the shot of what I'm saying, but the actual lived experience of it is something you don't actually have. Yeah? Imagine what it's like when you, if you were to read the Chumash, and as you're reading the Chumash, you're experiencing on some level the creation of the world, the reje- humanity rejecting Hashem, the flood, Hashem choosing Avram. Imagine you actually, like, as you're studying, you sense and experience those things and what they really are and have been happening to you and your soul. It's okay, I don't think you have a choice. Isn't it said that only three people ever reached, like, the level of pardes? No, no, no. No, the, the term pardes, like I said, is used in many different contexts. So there's a story in the Gemara about four sages that went to the pardes and that's used as a that's used as a an allusion to the idea of having a sewed learning session, and um, one came out fine, one came out a heretic, one went crazy, and one died. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now, so what's unique is that when, when in terms of saying the words, right, you could have Rabbi Shimbar Yochai and me, we could be saying the exact same thing, right? And on the level of speech, there's no difference. But the thought accompanying that speech is radically different because his thought is containing what level? So, and my thought is hopefully, hopefully, the pshat, right? So that's so. This different levels of understanding. It's not just which book you're reading. That's what I want to understand. It's individual in terms of the person. If I've learned information, and you've learned information, we both understand it. That doesn't mean we've learned it on the same level. We might be both able to write out the answer in a test and say the correct answer. Okay, um, so here's like an interesting question, yeah? The end is rooted in the beginning, right? Do you know what that means? It's on the board. Do you know what it means? <laughs> what? <laughs> what does it mean? That's not what it means. <laughs> but that's not what it means. Okay, but that, that's not what it means. The end is rooted in the beginning means like this. Let's say you have something that you want to do. Okay? It takes a lot of steps along the way. But the beginning, which is your desire, and the end, which is when you actually accomplish it, those are the two most meaningful things. They give meaning to everything else. Right? Like So if you're... If you're um, trying to build a house, right? You're not really there's not you're not interested in talking to the bank per se, right? It's the it's your desire for the house and the actual living in the house. That's what makes talking to the bank an important thing, right? So it turns out that the last step and the first step have this deep bond with each other, right? Okay, and so it's the same thing that the thing that Hashem desires most, which is our mitzvahs, has the strongest bond with Him, and that gives meaning to everything else, all our growth and all our spirituality. I could give you like twenty classes on that too, but you know what? That doesn't mean I'm ever going to. That doesn't mean that in my talking about it, as the thoughts of it arise to my mind, I'm actually going to feel the intensity of God's purpose in the physical world, just because I'm talking about it and understanding it, because I'm understanding it on a level of 
Whereas the mystic who first revealed that had it on this level. Right? So what's happening is that the thought actually allows the soul's unique experience to manifest in a way that speech and action don't. So it turns out that action is great because you can do mitzvahs. But if you can't do mitzvahs, speech is good because not only can you do mitzvahs, you can even talk about the mitzvahs that you can't do. But in that, your soul is very much obscured because your unique awareness of what you're doing doesn't come through in the action, but it does come through in thought. So if your goal is to have a garments that are always available, that are the most expressive possible, which garments would you prefer? Action, speech, or thought? Thought. Which means a godly soul is always trying to be thinking. Specifically. Torah. Torah and mitzvahs. And then the question is, on what level is your soul able to really approach that? Really able to experience that? Really able to appreciate that? And it's, you know, the overwhelming people are here, and very, very few people are ever here. Is there like a decent amount in the middle? No, it's one of those, um, what's called the Prado distribution. You know, so it's like 90% of people are over here, and then as you go down, it's just this huge drop off to Remez, and then to, to Drush, and then to so. Because that one is like, seems so... He, like, he can't Oh, so I'll tell you a good story about this. The fifth Chabad Rebbe, the Rebbe Rishab. We have pictures. Bottom left-hand corner. So he was... Um, he was studying a very difficult Hasidic work from the second Chabad Rebbe, who we don't have a picture from, known as the Mitzvah Rebbe. And he was a young Rebbe. He became Rebbe at the age of 22. And for the first 10 years, he like was like, he was quasi the Rebbe. Like, everyone knew he was the Rebbe other than him. It's like, he wasn't okay. He was not okay with the idea that he was the Rebbe. But everyone else treated him as the Rebbe. Um, so he wrote a letter asking for explanation of a certain passage in a very difficult work known as Imre Bina from the second Chabad Rebbe to an elder Chassid who was in his 70s. And the elder Chassid did not respond. So he sent a message find out like what happened. And the elder Chassid said, look, the Rebbe is the Rebbe. He doesn't need my explanations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when this came back to the, the Rebbe Rishab, he said, oh, I, I know I don't need his explanations, but I'm not sure if I understand this. If there's, I'm not sure if this is understandable with just human reasoning, or you need to have some sort of Ruach HaKodesh. You need to have some sort of experience, spiritual experience to really understand this text. So I have Ruach HaKodesh. I understand it on this level. And that allows me to then work backwards and understand it on this level. But this Chassid, as great as he is, he doesn't have that experience. So if he can understand it, then what does that mean? It's understandable, even for someone who hasn't had this experience. Mm-hmm. So because in your mind things blend together, it becomes hard to know, am I working from reasoning to experience? I'm working from experience to reasoning. And so you should find someone who hasn't had the experience and see if it makes sense to them works. So, you know how Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai used to make halachic rulings? What? He would go like this. I'm just making stuff up now. But he would open a chumash. And he would read. God wants us not to eat milk and meat. 
And he said, well, how do you know? He's like, well, read it, read it yourself. Like, isn't it obvious too when you read it? Just, is it just like come over you that that's what God wants? And now the other sage was like, no, it doesn't just come over us when we read the text. It just comes alive in our minds. That's not what happens, right? Have you ever looked at a beautiful painting? Like, wow, that's beautiful. And someone else like, well, what do you see in it? Well, just look at it, it's so beautiful. Like, I don't get what you're talking about. Like, what are you supposed to do at that point? Like, give them, an, give them a detailed analysis of, of you know, symmetry and color that's gonna help. Like, at some point, like, if you're not, get it, you don't get it. Which is why, generally speaking, the halacha did not follow. Rabbi Shimon, since the halacha follows the majority. Was he very persuasive? No. So, these are, what I want us to understand is that the Alter Rebbe is alluding to is not which text you're reading, but the way in which it resonates with you, the way in which your mind has assimilated it. Is it just straightforward, you get what he's trying to say? Or you're, you're relating to the language on an entirely different level as, as a code to contain other pieces of information? Are you sensitive to the fact that all of the infinite wisdom of Shem is present here, and so then any question you have can be found by examining this thoroughly enough? Or are you actually experiencing some sort of quasi-prophetic state? Are you asking that because it's personally relevant? Like you're not sure if you're crazy or a prophet? Okay. By the way, it's easy to tell. Yeah. You know three ways to know whether someone's crazy or, or actually a prophet? It's very simple, very simple. Three, three things. Number one, okay? If it vanishes after, the, after you had like your inspiring state, yeah. like it fades, then, then you're seeing things. It's not real. It stays with them. Like, I'll, give you, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. It's, it's not the same thing, but if you've ever been to like a really inspiring lecture, and you're like, wow, that was amazing. And then 10 minutes later, someone's, what was it about? And like, there was this, well, there was this thing about, it was really good. I, I remember it was really good, right? But the, okay. Versus like you, you studied something and you reviewed it. And like 20 years later, someone asks you and you weren't expecting it. And it turns out you actually know what you're talking about. Right? There's a huge difference between whether you acquire something. You can't have this kind of thing in a way that it doesn't actually integrate into your being. So any kind of experience that's ephemeral is not that. That's number one. Number two, you can't have these kinds of knowledge if you're still sinning. If sinning is something that you're still doing as part of your lifestyle, sinning, sinning any kind of sinning, then you're not really having that. So are you saying that like, every single Navi that ever existed never sinned? They might have done shuva and changed their whole approach to living. Okay. Right. So right. then yeah. hasn't or not Kabbalists. Yeah, no, most Kabbalists will tell you that they're, 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 we're reading these texts and we're trying to explain them and that's that. Like, you can feel inspired, but like that doesn't, like, yeah, you're, I mean, like, okay. Yeah. And, okay, and then, then, then the last thing, the last thing is you never experience this when you are um, in a negative mindset. The, the Gemara says, yeah. So someone who is in a negative mindset, then they're, whatever they're experiencing is not this kind of knowledge. You don't experience this kind of, like, so that's like very three, for, three very just clear tests that you can make for yourself where someone else's claims like, I don't know if that sounds so plausible. Again, you could be experiencing things that are meaningful and speaking, people we feel inspired, we feel optimistic, right? Like that, that, that lecture was really good and it really did do something for you, but like, 
It's not that you experience soda or anything. Okay, so what, what, so what I want us to understand is that if, in, in, as we, if we care more and more about the soul having expression in its garments, which garments are more meaningful to the soul? The order is going to be, the most meaningful is going to be thought. Subsequently is going to be speech, right? And action is going to be the least meaningful, right? Does this disturb some people who are like expecting us to make action the most important thing? No. Okay. Later on, later on, the Alter but does get into how action is more important than speech and thought. My yeah. Yeah. But 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 as the Rebbe once said, saying that the action is the main thing doesn't mean action is everything. And there are perspectives in which it's reversed. When you're talking about the soul wearing garments, that the garments meet the soul's need and it fits the soul, the most remote garment and the most limited garment is going to be action. And the most available garment and the most um, tailor-made garment, the garment that fits the nicest, is going to be thought. Because in thought, it's always available. And the thought, you can actually express your own awareness of what's going on on that mitzvah. Now, by the way, you could be doing them all at the same time, right? Like, you could be, like, saying words of Torah and doing a mitzvah and thinking about what's going on, right? It's not like one at the expense of the other. You can talk so, and think at the same time. Sure. When I'm speaking, all I'm thinking about is what I'm speaking about. That's true, but, but so there's a different, there's different, there's, there's thinking where you're just revealing to yourself stuff that you already know, and there's thinking to create new knowledge. When you're thinking to create new knowledge, introspective thinking, that you can't do while talking. But like, as I'm, like, as I'm talking to you and I'm explaining the ideas of thought, speech, and action, everything I know about thought, speech, and action is just like bubbling into my thought, right? That kind of thought can happen simultaneously. So when we're discussing this, She's more comfortable and in her clothes ever when you're thinking and you're doing it. Yeah. In other words, where does, in other words, the 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 the, the, the mitzvah, the, the, the soul feels comfortable even in just the doing of the mitzvah, right. but it's even more so going to be in the thinking, which was why the soul obviously feels most comfortable when it's doing a mitzvah, with an awareness of what that mitzvah is all about, rather than just doing the action just like out of habit or mindlessly. Yeah, in terms of contaminating your soul, the worst garment is going to be thought. Yeah. The, the, I'll just end on this point. When a person is trying to actually change their life, their inner life, not their behavior, the most important thing to work on is thought. Because if you can master thought and have your, that your inner mental life is in the right place, then everything follows, and you're actually going to, be a di you're going to bring out different parts of yourself. And the, the previous Rebbe says that um, many people failed to really make a substantive change in their life, in tshuva, because they put the emphasis on the action and on what they say, rather than what they're thinking. I know, right? That doesn't mean like what you do doesn't matter, but, you know. once you get thought, it leads to action and also creates this, it creates really, thought can create a very safe space for your soul or a very dangerous place for your soul. Yeah, so thought is the most intimate. Okay, tomorrow we will talk about the idea that your soul has different parts and each part relates to a different mitzvah.